Well, good morning. I'm glad that you chose to be with us. I'll let those of you that are in the room know we're experiencing a little bit of trouble with our live stream going out. We really do consider both audiences and both congregations valuable, meaning whether you're on campus or you're uh, watching us from the live stream. So we definitely want to be missed that. So you may see some of our tech team running around. They are working hard to adjust that, and they will get it solved in a moment. While we're sort of warming up here, uh, first of all, I want to, again, extend my welcome and glad that you've joined us, not just for today, but I hope you've joined us for the series. But as every time a church comes together, there's always some really neat stuff that happens. And today I've been made aware that we have, have all of our guests are special, so I don't want to say this is an extra special guest, but there's some special nostalgia here because um, Edie Connell, where are you sitting, Edie? Right there. Uh, now, I've, I'm a little confused on the story. Is today your anniversary? Okay, 57 years ago today, Edie married a man that was previously one of our associate members here several years ago, and that anniversary, she was married in this room 57 years ago today. So if you would, welcome Edie with us today and how much that means. What a long and faithful legacy and history that these churches have. And I love the way that we both share a legacy together, the Western Hills Church and the Avenue G Church, and what God's doing, not just in our past, but what he's doing now and in the future. And isn't that been an awesome experience? So next week, there will be no excused absences, okay? You will either log on or show up, one of those two, Chris will be bringing our final message in Heal Our Land series, and you do not want to miss it. You're going to want to be a part of that as we bring this series that we've done together. And I know that I've been blessed, and I'll say this again next week, but I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Uh, preachers need preaching. Does that make sense? And so for the last several weeks, I've been blessed to have Chris as my preacher and what a blessing that is, and I hope you've been blessed by it. Um, I've been challenged by the things that he's brought, and it's definitely been shaping in my faith, and I know it's been shaping in the life of this church as we continue to grow and serve Jesus together. Because here's the, here's the point of Heal Our Land. Uh, it's not a big secret that our country's in turmoil, that our society's at odds with one another, that our anxiety is running at an all-time high. Many of us are just praying to make it to the end of 2020, right? We, we, we need a reset at some point. We just want to start all over somehow, and we think maybe if we get through the, to the next year, we can just catch our breaths, and it'll all be better. And we are praying a prayer that says, heal our land, Father. Heal our land, Jesus. And we're looking back at a sermon that Jesus delivered 2,000 years ago. And I've been amazed at how relevant it seemed like it just came off the printer yesterday. And what we're discovering in that is God will heal our land. But he will use his people to do that. And he's calling us to join him in that prayer that we have and join him in that prayer request that we pray so diligently and by how we behave, by how we act in the world, by how we interact with this culture. 
He calls us something. He gives us a nickname. He says, you're salt and you're light in the world. Now go be that. And Chris challenged us very early on to find the place that, how are you going to build your house? You can build it on a rock or you can build it on sand. So today we're going to go to the very next part of this sermon that Jesus preached. And I'm going to tell you, today is going to be a little uneasy in some ways. Have you ever, I, I love this time of year, especially, you know, because every now and then it seems like the, the temperature drops down to where you could possibly have a fire in the fireplace, okay? So I, I'm kind of like my mom, I just use any excuse that we have possible to have a fire, and so a few days ago when it sort of dipped, I think, low 80s, I said, okay, that's close enough, we'll, we'll go for a fire, and so I go out to our wood pile, and you know, a thing about a Texas wood pile is it doesn't get used up as much as, you know, a northern woodpile would. And so we were getting down near the bottom, and I reached down. You ever had this experience? I reached down, and there was a perfectly good log, and I reached down, and I picked it up, and as I turned it over, the perfectly good log went to yuck. And it, had, it was moldy and damp and soft and mushy, and then there was all kinds of creepy, crawly, roly-poly, sluggy, buggy things on that. Somewhere I probably made up a word in that whole list. And what looked good on the outside, underneath, when you exposed it, it was yeesh. Well, today, in this part of the sermon, I'm going to just give you the heads up. Here's what Jesus does. He reaches down, he picks us up and turns us over and exposes a part of us that you kind of go yeesh. And what he's doing is he's reaching into really close to where we live and he's exposing some parts of us that we're not really want to show the world or that we really don't want to deal with. We don't want to to have to face. And this is the church. This is when we come together and we make up the church. He's kind of calling us out on this. And so I'm going to tell you, if you're here today and maybe you don't believe in Jesus... I mean, you, you've heard of him, but you're, you're not sold out and sure that he can be trusted in all things, that he is who he says he is, being the Son of God. I'm going to tell you that you need to pay attention to this because Jesus is your guy. Because perhaps you felt by church people somewhere in your walk that you were judged by them. And they felt holier than thou and all these other phrases that we use and maybe you've experienced that and that's one of the reasons you've got your guard up and your defenses up when it comes to the church and your defenses are up when it comes to following Jesus I'm telling you you're going to love what Jesus has to say today because he calls us out on that judgmental mentality and the way that we've gone about doing it so whether or not you believe in Jesus you're going to like Jesus today Because Jesus gets to a part of the sermon where he calls us out on how we judge one another. As I was thinking about this series and I was thinking about today, I thought, man, don't we just have a tendency to be judgmental? Don't we just have a way? I started thinking about some of our reality TV. And before reality TV was really big, there was a show that you went into a courtroom and it was called People's Court. Okay, now if you know this show, you're showing your age, okay? So I'll give you a chance to just go ahead and fess up to your age. The man that sat on the bench was named Judge Wapner. See, we got some passionate deals. Okay, so <laughs> that concept allowed you at home to watch these people bicker over some of the minor stuff. 
I mean, it was like he spit on my car. You know, I mean, we're, they're just going to fight and fight and fight. And then you got to watch the judge bring a judgment. And what was so fun was to go, yeah, give it to him. Right. Well, Judge Wapner, I, I don't know. He, he may still be alive. I don't know. He was like 104 when he was doing the show, I think. He got replaced, to a, a, kind of not on the show, but to a, di- a different show came along. And this one just highlighted the name. It was by a fierce woman, Judge Judy. Judy. Said, Man, I knew this was going to connect. <laughs> so we got to watch Judge Judy. And Judge Judy was always just coming at him, and she would scold him. Watner was kind of like a nice guy. And Judge Judy was a pit bull. And it was just so satisfying, wasn't it? When she would, she would either lock in on one or the other, the plaintiff or the defendant, she'd lock in on them, and there was a point where she would just lecture them. And you would just say, go, Judy, go. Because you just felt so good to see somebody else get what they deserved. Well, then that got replaced by a different judge. Simon Cowell came along. <laughs> and we just loved watching somebody tell people that thought they could sing... You can't sing and give them the truth because we looked at that and said, that's what I would have told them because we love that feeling of being able to judge, don't we? There's something about it, and I think it may be hardwired into our DNA. And so with that, with that in front of us, I want you to open your Bibles or open your apps to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have what we've been exploring is the Sermon on the Mount. A sermon that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. And he lays out a way of life for those that would dare to follow him. And he calls us into some things. And now, once again, he's reaching down and he's grabbing this, our, our outside self that we think is all pretty and all nice and looks good and healthy. And he's going to turn over us and he's going to expose an underside that's ugh. And this gets real personal. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going through about 14 verses here. Luke chapter 7. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7. It begins this way. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Jesus has a way of going straight at it. Every now and then I get accused of being too blunt. I've got nothing on Jesus. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Pause. Think of how many times this word, hypocrite, has come up in this portion as we looked at this portion of the sermon. Again and again, it's the idea of you play actor. You're putting on a role. You're imitating something else as a disguise. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, if you've grown up in church, this is a very familiar passage. 
And I've always heard it done this way, that what Jesus is doing is he's calling us not to judge, and he uses this illustration. And he talks about, gives this illustration of if you've got a speck in one eye, and you go and you spot the speck in your brother's eye, and then you go to get that speck out, you've got a plank in your own eye. And I've heard preacher after preacher go, this is Jesus' form of humor. My thought was, Jesus wasn't very funny. Because I'd, I'd see this, and I'd be like, I don't get the joke that much. And I wondered always if the disciples were standing on the edge going, oh no, he's doing the plank in the eye joke again. Jesus, it doesn't play. Nobody gets it. Until you come up with the visual for it. And you really understand what's going on there. Now, understand the, the biting criticism that comes with it. I can spot the speck in your eye. We're really good at that, aren't we? I can spot the issue in your life that's out of place. Some of us think we have a spiritual gift at doing that. That I can look and I can tell what you've got wrong with you. And because I'm so holy, because I'm so right, I'm going to come in and I'm going to help you deal with that speck. I'm going to call you out on that speck. I'm going to feel okay that I'm judging you because I can clearly see your speck. It's right there. And what I do is I feel better about myself when I can spot your speck. But here's the visual that Jesus is laying out for us. He's saying, yeah, I can spot your speck, but I'm doing that like this. And so when I move to try to get your speck taken care of, I'm going to whop you in the face with my plank. I'm going to leave a big old bruise there. But I am so fixated on what's wrong with you, I don't even see this. I'm so fixated on whether or not you're struggling or you're having an affair that I can judge you on that I don't even see my own lust. I don't even see my own struggle with pornography because it's not near as bad as your struggle with an affair. See how this is working? So I'm going around trying to help you, but all I'm doing is, what am I doing in the middle? I'm doing damage. Every time I try to draw close to you, I clobber you with this. And don't we have an incredible ability to be... To be um, blind to this. Do another. It's a lot easier for me to look at your racism than to deal with my own anger. It, it's a lot easier for me to pick out what's wrong in your family than to me to address the temper that I have and the way that I blow up at my kids. Because yours I can judge. I don't even want to see mine. I came up with some planks. Here's the planks that I think we all bear. We, it, it's our lust. And it runs rampant, but as long as I think I've got it hidden or concealed or something I just do online, it's not really a plank, is it? And I can ignore it. Or my greed. See, this is a fun one with greed. Because when we're greedy, we actually come up with real reasons that we're not, it's not a plank. I'm not greedy... I'm just really careful with money. I'm just really cautious with my money. Selfishness. 
Now, I can see it in you, but it's really hard to see in me. Because once again, I'm not selfish. I'm wise. Next. There's my anger. This is one that I wrestle with. It's easy for me to pick out all the sins. Your addiction, maybe. Maybe the way that you've treated somebody. The way that you've um, walked out on a family or something and not ignored the path of destruction that my anger's caused. Jealousy. Now, this one gets in our way all the time. See, this one's funny because I can be jealous. I can see greed in your life because you've got so many nice things. And what I'm really is, I'm just jealous. But it's easier for me to call it your greed than my jealousy, right? All the time, blind to it. And the last one's this, gossip. Now, let me ask you this. Did I miss anybody? (laughs) Is anybody out there going, made it through the list? Jesus is telling us, he says, oh, he says, why would you go through the process of judging someone else and seeing that little speck and then you fixate on that little speck in them and the whole time I'm trying to break into your heart, into your life and create renewal and change and revival and a whole new way of living, a supernatural way of living by my Holy Spirit and the whole time you're going to ignore this plank in your eye and it's the very plank that's keeping you from even helping your other brother or sister. When I go to help you and I haven't faced my own planks, I do harm because I keep hitting you in the face with the plank. And my anger comes out at you. And my jealousy comes out at you. And my greed comes out. And my selfishness comes into play. And so all that effort, even if I think I'm really going to try to come in and help, what I'm doing is I'm doing harm because I haven't faced and I haven't dealt with and I haven't submitted my own planks to the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. But if you do, there is a way that you can then step in. Because notice what the command is. The command is don't ever. It's deal with your plank first, then, then you can actually be helpful. Because I think when we begin to deal with our own plank first, several things kick in. And if you want to write these down, I encourage you for it. But here's the first one. Here's some takeaways we choose to deal with our own place. Facing your own need for grace. That's what this whole thing is about, is your need for grace. Because you don't have it all together and I don't have it all together. Makes you more grateful for grace. Facing your need for grace makes you more grateful. The more that you come to understand, I've got a plank in my eye. I've got an issue in my life. And I haven't been able to beat it on my own. I haven't been able to overcome it on my own. Then what I've got is an opportunity to become all more aware of my need for grace. And I can become more grateful for it. And do you see how that will begin to change how I relate to others? Because when I see you with a speck in your eye... I'm so grateful for the grace that takes care of the plank in mine that I can celebrate the one 
the same grace that takes care of the speck in your eye. The second thing that it does, facing your own need for grace will increase your worship. Do, do you want to grow in your worship moment, in your worship experience? One of the things that I've heard over, over this whole lockdown and quarantine time is I've heard from several of you going, I, I just need to get back into worship. I, I need to be back where I can worship again. I can have a worship experience. And I know that's changed and that's, there's been all kinds of limitations here. But here's a secret to how you come back and increase your worship. Facing your own need for grace. When you realize what God has forgiven you of, what God is working on you, what He is healing you from, the planks that He's removed from your eye, your worship of that God will increase, and it will increase regardless of worship style. We get so hung up on something that I did or I did not like the style, I did or did not like the song list, I did or not like who led, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you understand that you are coming before the God that forgives and heals you from all the issues and the planks and the sin that you've got accumulated in your life. And when you come to an understanding of that moment, your worship will increase. You can't help it. Third thing. Facing your own need for grace makes you more generous with grace. You want to have a generous judgment. See, that's what this is about. God's given us a generous judgment. He, he's given us the benefit of the doubt. Does your, does your judgment always have the benefit of the doubt? Isn't that funny how when we're the ones that are receiving the focus, that we're on the hot seat, that what we want is mercy, but when somebody else is on the hot seat, we want justice, right? We want justice because that's what they deserve. But Jesus is inviting us in this way of life. And he says, if you are willing to deal with the plank that's in your own eye, you're going to be a more generous, judging person. You're going to be giving them the benefit of the doubt. Now, honestly, you may not want to give anybody else the benefit of the doubt, but don't you want to live in a world where everybody gives you the benefit of the doubt? Because when I mess up, I've got reasons. When you mess up, it's because you're a bad person, right? Because you didn't think it through. When I mess up, it's because of my issues. And I think God understands my issues, but he's going to come down on you for being a bad person. But if I understand my need for grace and the planks that I have in my life that are blinding me to see anything else, and that God can heal me and take those from me, then I've got a reservoir, a well, if you would, from what's to draw generosity in my judgment and grace for you. Does that sound like something that would heal our land? Does that sound like something to make a difference? Jesus goes on. He goes on, well, let me ask you this question. Will you be generous in your judgment? Will you be generous in your judgment of others? That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Are you willing to do the difficult work of facing 
whatever your sin, whatever your addictions, whatever the planks that you have are, and then will you be generous in your judgment for others? Whether or not they vote the way you vote, whether or not they shop in the stores that you shop in, whether or not they like the music that you like, whether or not they keep their yard the way you keep the yard, whether or not they're from your neighborhood or not, will you be generous in your judgment to others? And then as a church, and this is a big one for us as a church, will we be generous in our judgment? Will we be generous as we look out across our community and say, it's a hurting community. We're hurting people too, but we're here to help. Or will we stand in judgment and say, you've got exactly what you deserved. There you are. Will we be gracious in our judgment? Jesus moves from this to the next part of the, the verse, and then it seems like he changes tunes. I want you to read this with me. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, most of your Bibles has this verse associated, at least by the way they put the subheadings in, associated with the part we just read. I'm going to suggest to you that it actually should go with what follows. Because what Jesus is doing, now they're all tied together, and I'll tie it together just at the end, but I believe what Jesus is setting us up for the next part of how God is generous, and he's associating with this, and what he's doing is he's using some code language. Because when if you'd been standing on the hillside that day, and you heard this, do not give the dogs what is sacred, and do not throw to your pearls to pigs, what you would have heard if you'd been a Jew on that on that hillside that day, you would have picked up on it. You would have thought, I know who he's talking about. He's talking about Rome. He's talking about the occupying force that's on us. Why not come out and say it? Because when there's an occupying force, there's soldiers gathered around, you speak in code. <clears throat> you send it the message a different way. And he's saying, but don't place your trust there. Don't place your trust in the Rome that you see. And so what he's going to do is he's going to try to, he's going to take that on and he's going to associate the very next part with it. But he's asking us to not trust the administration that's over us in government, whether you voted for them or not. Because what he's about to do, he's about to compare that to God's generosity. And I'm going to tell you, as we read this next part, I went through most of my prep time misreading this verse. Because we're going to read about some gifts, and I kept thinking it told us how to give gifts. That's not what the verse is about, that we should know how to give gifts. In fact, it says in the verse that we do know how to give gifts. This is about the kind of gifts that God gives us. So, read this together with me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? To which I say, I don't know. How's he been behaving? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those 
who ask him. Do you see those examples that he uses? He talks about if you ask for bread, you know, if your son, if your child comes to you and asks for a bread, you're not going to toss him a stone. And then he uses this extreme one. He says, says, if they ask for a fish, and notice it's food request, and then that would have been very important in that culture, you know, if you're asking to be fed, to be nourished, you know, child comes and says, hand him, I'd like some fish, Dad. Here, here's a snake. Now this one, I take really serious, because I don't like snakes, okay? And I know there's some of you out there, you know, if I say, hey, I found a snake, you say, there's some of you out there go, well, is it a good snake? There, no, there's not a good snake. Read your Bible, Genesis 1, God curses the snake. Genesis 3, sorry, curses the snake. Not a good one. So you can only imagine what a woman in College, Texas, in College Station, Texas, came across when she went into her bathroom at night because she heard noise and she saw this. Yeah. It's not a good snake. Stop that. Just to show you, I'm not making this up. I've got the actual article. Uh, College Station resident Veronica Rodriguez, when she went to flip on the light in her bathroom and discovered an African python crawling into her bathtub, it was a huge scare. That's her quote. No joke. Who was still visibly shaken from the incident on Monday, eight days after the snake sighting. Yes. I go into my bathroom and I find that snake. You know what I do? I sell the house. <laughs> There's no way I'm using this restroom ever again. I'm out of there. It's yours. Here's the keys. We're gone. She tells a story that, now this is kind of the funny part. Now you can't really make this stuff up, and I'm not, because it's here, you know, it's on the internet. It's true. <laughs> she had decided to give her daughter's three guinea pigs a bath. And so she would. Apparently the pen was outside or something, so she one by one she would go and she'd leave the door open. She'd bring one into the bathtub. She'd give it a bath, take it back out. Somewhere in between those, the snake comes in. I guess it's looking for snacks, you know. It's like, hey, you're serving up guinea pig. We're there. So when the officer shows up, she calls 911. The officer shows up and he comes with a brown paper sack. <laughs> and her words to him are, you're going to need a bigger sack. <laughs> just like we would take that serious. And just like we, we would not find it anything funny about it if you had made a serious request and what you get in place of that is, here's a snake. And what Jesus wants to know is, if you and I know that, and we're corrupt, we've got planks in our eyes, but if we know the difference between good gifts and bad gifts, how much so does your Heavenly Father that made you, created you, and loves you, does He know how to give good gifts? Jesus is asking, who will you trust? So verse 7, uh, the last part, well, we'll go to... Jesus said, Who do you, here's the last part. So in everything you do, do to others what you have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
in everything that you do, whether it be gracious in your judgment or who do you trust? And see, that's going to be the question. Who do you trust? And that's why I think it ties to that first part about the pigs and the, and the, the pearls and the dogs. He's saying, who do you trust? Will you trust the kingdom above you or the kingdom in front of you? Will you trust Rome to provide all of your answers? Will you trust this administration or the last to secure your well-being? Or will you trust your Heavenly Father, the only one that knows how to give you the perfect gift every time? Who do you trust? Well, does Jesus ever practice what he preaches? And yes, he does. He delivers this sermon, and then over in the Gospel of John, we have an account where Jesus is teaching once again. And into the midst of this early morning Bible study that he's having in the temple, those that are looking to trap him are dragging with them a woman. And I can only picture the scene that they would be gathered around listening to Jesus and into the middle of that crowd they shove this woman and we're left with the idea that she's not even completely dressed. She may just be clutching a robe or a bed sheet around her. And what they're there doing, it's not because they're so proud and moral, it's because they think they've trapped Jesus. And they start barking a question at him because they want a crowd to see. And they ask about, the law of Moses says that we should stone this woman because we have just caught her in the act of adultery. Now, how they pulled that one off is a whole other sermon. But we've caught her. She's wrong. We've passed judgment, but we've brought her here to see what you say. And they think they've got Jesus into kind of a legal public relations trap. Because the law of Moses is very clear. You stone such a woman. I mean, and stone doesn't mean you give her drugs. It means you throw rocks there until she dies. And they think they've got their trap set, and so they throw her down. They says, what do you say? Because if he goes with the stoning, then he's going to come across just as harsh and legalistic as all the other religious leaders of the day. And if he ignores it, then he's light and he's easy on the law. He's cheap on the Bible, we would say. So look what he says. I'm going to pick up, this is end of verse 6. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Now pause right there. You see what he's doing? Let any one of you that's already taken care of the plank in your eye, let any one of you that's got clear sight on this, you throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time and notice this detail, because this is a fascinating detail. The older ones first. Why? Wisdom. They knew they had been gotten. 
they knew they couldn't answer the question. Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing still with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. You see the drama in that moment? The woman's probably never even raised her face. She's on the ground. She's probably crying. She's ashamed. She's guilty and she's vulnerable at this moment. And all around her, she doesn't know if she's going to live five minutes from now. And then slowly, she hears rocks, but they're not hitting her. They're just dropping to the ground with a hollow thud. And she doesn't even bring herself to look up. No, Jesus speaks to her, and then she looks up and says, Where are the ones that have condemned you? She says, They're not here. Then Jesus says this, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. And what we need to remember is the only one in that circle, the only one in that group that could have passed judgment was Jesus. He's the only one. And yet he's generous and gracious in his judgment. Now we go, now Jesus, are you being cheap with grace? Are you being light on sin? No, no, no. There's a huge price to pay. And Jesus says, I'm going to pay it. Because he knows for that sin and the countless others by her and by you and by me, Jesus knew that he would lay down his life on a cross and take that sin on. Oh, there was a huge price to pay. But Jesus was be generous in that you didn't have to pay it and I didn't have to pay it. And so as we look at others, it's so easy to look at somebody and think they're getting away with something. They don't deserve grace. You need to understand this. Grace deserved is never grace. Because that's not what it is. But when we become the receivers of grace, and we understand to what extent we receive grace, that begins to change everything. And with a group of people, willing to take the plank out of our eye first so then we can minister as grace-filled people in this world that will heal our land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you are so gracious. And Father, for all the times I'm blind that I'd rather pass judgment then reflect on all that you've done for me. Father, thank you that you have never given up. Father, may we be the people that will first take the planks out of our own eye and stand before you with grace because it comes from you. And may we be the ones that then turn around and spread grace to the world. Trusting in your generosity, not in any that comes from a kingdom in front of us. Father, I ask all this in the name of Jesus, the one that took my sin on the cross, the one that took my planks and weighed and laid down on them as a wooden tree and gave it all. It's in his name we pray. Amen.